All right, here we go. Welcome everybody to Live from My Drum Room, episode 54. Uh, this is part two of Remembering Charlie Watts. If you haven't watched part one from last week, uh, please check it out on YouTube and uh, it's available as a podcast. My guests were Kenny Jones, uh, Steve Gadd, Andy Newmark, Rick Murata, John Ferraro, Steve Maxwell, Yard Gavrilovich. Um, who am I forgetting? Probably someone else. But uh, but it had a great show last week uh, for part one, paying tribute to Charlie, remembering Charlie. And today, uh, for part two, I'm really excited to have my guests, Steve Smith, Dave Maddox, Clem Burke, Mickey Curry, Kenny Aronoff, Chad Smith, Sean Pelton, and Don McCauley, um, Charlie's drum tech for the past 10 or so years, and now out on the road with Steve Jordan with the Stones. So, uh, and we were just um, catching up like a bunch of drummers do, and uh, this is going to be a hoot. So, thanks for watching uh, episode 54 live from my drum room, remembering Charlie Watts part two. And I'm going to admit my guests right now. Here we go. There's all right. Look at this. We could play Hollywood Squares with this setup too. <laughs> hey, Johnny. Hi, Steve. I like Hi, the drum room. The drum room looks awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Steve. It's 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 coming along. I yeah. I've got. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's Dave Maddox. Okay, I was going to say we're missing someone. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I Steve. I don't know if you were if you were on. I've I've got. I think I've told you this. I have another room with uh, more drums in the other really? room. So it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've solved that problem by just having a few houses. <laughs> so I have one, one, like I'm here in upstate New York on our lake, you know, lake house. So I have a whole room here, but then, you know, have one in Oregon and then the one in, the, in New York City. So instead yeah. of just keeping them in one house, we just bought a few houses. <laughs> well, that that's actually a lot easier than putting them all in one house. I never thought of that. It's yeah. Well, you might want to bring some over to the vineyard. I usually have one down there. I brought it back. I, I usually I have my smaller premiere set, not this one, um, down there. And I did a couple of gigs this summer, which is which was kind of fun and, and uh, easy kit to transport. So cool. But but I don't like to leave a kit all winter down there just in case something crazy happens down there. So right. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you. I'm going to just kind of go around on my screen. And welcome Sean Pelton, the ever handsome Mickey Curry, the, the, the Kenny Aronoff. I don't know the, the handsome, talented, shy Kenny Aronoff, Dave Maddox, Steve Smith, Don McCauley, Chad Smith, Clem Burke. So thank you guys for being here. And, uh, and I, thank I know, you, John. Thanks, John. yeah, thank you guys. I, you know, I, I, I think it's safe to say we all, you know, love Charlie dearly. And I know some or most of us have a story or two that we could, we could tell. And, and, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to that. And I was going to just, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to start it off because I said this when we were off, you know, off the air that um, it was through Kenny recording uh, on Bridges to Babylon back in 1997 um, that I sort of got my final introduction to charlie and and kenny yeah, I don't, i've told you this story you called me i think you'd been up all night you'd, you'd, yep. you'd come home at whatever time in the morning and you were so excited as you as you tend to be about having just recorded with with charlie and jim keltner and 
and uh, and you you were at Ocean Way, and and so I left a message for Chooch McGee that same day at Ocean Way, and thinking you know I just want to introduce myself and you know for no there was no ulterior anything it was just a way to just say hello to charlie if i could and send him some of these vintage symbols we had just uncovered that i'd given to ringo a year before these old um a zildjans from the 1940s that i just knew charlie would dig you know just no no other reason than that and uh, and shooch called back like later that day or the next day and that began this this conversation and he suggested i write a letter to charlie which i did and uh, and then not long after that, Charlie called and that sort of began the whole thing. So, Kenny, thank you for, you know, for enthusiastically telling me that you recorded with those guys that kind of said it. In more. I don't think I've seen Kenny this quiet in my life. <laughs> That's because I've been up all night. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that's that's one of a, a 10,000 stories I could tell, but that was the sort of beginning of it. And, uh, and I'll, I'll just say this, you know, kind of uh, selfishly that, that I, I used to like the, the first time I met Charlie a few months after that, I kind of couldn't believe how nice he was and how I almost thought he was to quote, you know, a, a British saying he was taking the piss out of me. He was just so kind and so amazing. Um, and, uh, but it was, it was sincere. It was very genuine. And, and we struck up this friendship that lasted right up till, you know, till we lost him. So, you know, let me add to that, uh, Johnny, because, uh, you know, uh, when I met, when I, I walked in at midnight after I'd been working all day and night, because Don was called me up and said, Hey, you should stop by ocean way. So I'm working with the stones. I went, are you fucking kidding me? I got, I went right down there and, Jim Keltner introduced me to Charlie. It was craziness. You know, um, Keith, which you'd had, was working in, in the big room on like Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Mick would be on Tuesday, <clears throat> Thursday, and Saturday or whatever. They weren't doing it together. But Charlie was in the back room in Studio 2 at Ocean Way doing his jazz record. So right. Jim goes, and Jim and I had done percussion and drums together on a Joe Cocker record where we would share, you know, do it together anyway so jim goes hey have you ever met charlie i went no and charlie you know super super nice friendly with the big grin said this is kenny arnold and charlie said oh nice to meet you then jim said you should go in the you should have kenny go he does some weird shit with percussion playing steel buckets and have him play on your record so i mean i couldn't believe it my head was spinning so we go back there i record some and and, and charlie and asked me if I would come back the next night. And what I was told later on is that if Charlie likes you, he's very nice. If he doesn't like you, he, that's it. He doesn't say fuck off, but you know, he's just, the fact that he invites you back means he likes you. So that was that. And I just, I just as well tell the story. I, but then we're doing this all week. And the next week I walk in, holy fuck, it's all the stones. It's because Don was, it said, Listen, you guys, you can't be the Rolling Stones if you're not all playing together. I mean, you can't have like, you know, you can't have like mix up. But I mean, that's just what they do. They create this kind of, this way they get creative ideas going. Anyway, I got to get to this point. This is the point is that so it was four in the morning and now we're playing with the Stones. And 
And oh my God, being that close to Charlie, watching him play the drums, it's almost like as if somebody would like do a brush stroke across a, a canvas and you go, oh, that's simple. And then you go, wait a minute, what the fuck is that? And that's Charlie. He'd be playing and be like, hit a snare drum hard and all of a sudden hit the kick drum hard or just do shit that was different. Anyway, I'm playing a gourd with beads on it, like an eighth note thing, a hi-hat pattern. And either Mick or Keith, I can't remember, was playing acoustic guitar. But Mick came up to me and goes, hey, listen, Kenny, I like what you're doing, but uh, don't get in the way of Charlie's hi-hat thing. The point of this story is the lead singer, maybe the biggest, most famous lead singer in the biggest band in rock and roll, loves Charlie Watts's feel. He knows that Charlie's feel with Keith's guitar stuff, with his voice, is the fucking Rolling Stones. And he knows that and honors and loves Charlie's drumming so much in his feel. He was telling me, don't get in the way of that. And that's when I went, oh man, I wish sure, all sure. the leads I wish all the lead singers I worked with would think about me like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, leave the fucking high hat alone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, by the, and, and by the way, let me finish by saying when the record came out, there was my part was gone. <laughs> oh. Nice. Oh, that's that's great. Well, I just I have to just to, to put a small cap on that. So some months later, when I when I was when I met Charlie, we were talking or it might have been a time after I met him, but we were, we were talking and I and I mentioned your name and this big smile came on his face and he said, Kenny Aronoff, he said, him and Ronnie Wood have the biggest noses I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, him and Armin, you know, Armin was still alive. So I said, him and Armin Zildjian used to get together and stand nose to nose. And Armin would say, you can drive a Cadillac between us. With, with, wait, with the doors open. With the doors open. <laughs> he would say, you can drive a Cadillac between us with the doors open and still wouldn't touch us. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Oh, that's, yeah, that's great. Uh, well, Mickey, I know you guys back in the 90s, yeah. or early 2000s. Yeah, Brian, 18, seven, yeah. 1870s. <laughs> it was just after the Civil War, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> what was it called? Reformation. Yeah, we were playing, we opened for the Stones. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did, uh, we did a couple of weeks on one of those um, crazy traveling circus tours that they did you know everything was tense and big giant it was it was like a traveling city they had a library and a health spa and just crazy but wow. um what i remember about charlie other than just you know you can't watch him with your mouth closed i, I he was just unbelievable uh, just unbelievable you, you look at him watch him play and he looks like he's going to fall off the back of the kit like he's going to just fall. You know, you don't think that backbeat's going to make it. You don't think the left hand is going to get there in time with it. But if you close your eyes and listen to what he's playing, it is so beautiful, mm. untouchable, just the best, smoothest, uh, you know, most beautiful groove ever. But um, 
he used to come, he would come and sit in our dressing room. He just came in, he had his, his beautiful suit on and just, he, looked, he was just such a uh, handsome, amazingly, you know, uh, gentle and, but he'd come in and he'd just kind of sit and we'd make him, a, I'd make him a cup of tea and we'd sit and I was so afraid to talk about drums or <laughs> tracks or snare drums or sounds or, you know, what sticks do you use? Uh, I was so in awe of him and, uh, you know, this person, this, this legend just sort of sitting there in front of you, but he was so sweet and so kind and so nice. And he came back every, every day before we went on and sat for a half an hour with us and just kind of, you know, we just chit chat about nothing. Uh, none of it was ever about drums. None of it was ever about, you know, how do you do what you do? I couldn't do that. You know, I, I, I just, couldn't bring that up with him. But watching him play, I learned so much. You know, yeah. It, but he so was much. beautiful, on, not just on the kit, but uh, just as a guy. You know, he was a really, really yeah. sweet man. So, and that, that was it. And then I saw him again, um, I, I don't know, four or five years ago. Uh, we went to see the Stones in Vienna. They were playing at a big stadium there. And I got to watch him play again. Just, it was beautiful to watch. He was just incredible. And he was, you know, 70 something years old then. Uh, just going for it. I don't know how he did it. That whole band, I don't know how they did it. You know, Mick didn't stop running the whole show. Yeah. It's crazy. Just crazy. Crazy, but, uh, really. But Charlie was beautiful to watch. And, um, you know, I think, I was thinking today about what, what uh, we would, you know, what I would have to say about Charlie. And I, I keep going back to um, Satisfaction. Oh, my God. The track, that yeah. rhythm track is so fucking hypnotic, man. It's just frightening. I don't know how he did that, but it's the best rhythm track ever recorded. The little hi-hat, the, the hi-hat thing is amazing, but the, the tambourine part, you know, the yeah. little, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's so hypnotic. He's just stomping the shit out of that. The fact and that he knew to crazy. do that, the fact he knew to do not one drum fill. No. Now, would we no. have done that yeah. at age 20? Uh, I forget Fuck. it, man. I know. No. Not, no, not I know. one drum fill. He yeah. knew yeah. if you stop that hypnotic thing, the song would yeah. be the same. That, that song That's just it. kills me. And there were only a few songs, you know, uh, that you, you listen to and you can't, you can't put your finger on why it's this um, mesmerizing, you know, but there's something about that, man. It just puts you in a completely different place. It's, it's, it's like absolutely waiting, amazing. waiting to resolve, you know, not, not resolving too fast and just waiting. And it never, he never, he never, never stops. He never stops the stomp. That's right. But the dynamic is all there throughout. Yeah. The yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just crazy. It's the big English beat. Man, the he, drum he, was, yeah. the groove. Yeah. he was the guy. But it, the, band and now, the drum break is the groove. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. The drum yeah. break is you the know? groove. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He's the support. He's the support. Where you could have went the other way with that. You know, though, here's my space. I'm going to instead yeah. right. kept the groove and the band yeah. dropped out. It's killer. Yeah. Or, you know, he could have gone down to just two and four on a couple of those bars somewhere, but he doesn't. He, he is relentless. Right. right. Maybe yeah. for a second. Maybe just for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. to give you a little, yeah, yeah, attention, just attention scary, just yeah. fantastic, man. From I, I the, think from the Kenny, first beat, crazy. Yeah, 
And from Ke- to Kenny's point, you know, he had this incredible, I, I think as, a, as somebody that, just, you know, from day one of playing the drums was just completely, you know, obsessed with his playing. Like he had this incredible instinct at such a young age to play the right thing. And, you know, and like, like great example of satisfaction, you listen to under my thumb and there's no yeah. symbol crashes yeah. where, where you, where you are, at least I, I think there are spots where it w- it could easily make sense to hit a symbol. He's, he's so restrained and so disciplined to keep it that way. And then like years later, jumping, jumping Jack flash again, yeah. no drum fills, no drum fills. Yeah. It's just, mm. All the way through, and it never gets. Yeah, and when he went for a drum fill on those late, like you know, start me up, or you know, he did those wacky, sort yeah. of just yeah. uh, eighth note, you know, unbelievable. What was the song? What was the song? I can't remember the title. With the the China, he hits the China. You know, it's a uh, I'm so she's so cold. She's so cold. Yeah, and when he hits, so cool. he hits that China once at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. and it's really cool. But then he doesn't hit it for two minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. like, but it yeah. made me go like, hit it again, it? please yeah, hit it. Please. Where is it? Yeah, why didn't you put it in the same place? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But the point is, is he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It wasn't an accident. No, he knew. That's the genius. He knew. Incredibly good, man. Those little snare, those little misses on the snare were definitely. <laughs> majority of them, majority of them. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Clem? I was just going to say about the China being right side up, you know, the way people have it flipped over. Cause yeah. I play it as well. And yeah. uh, I don't, you don't see too many people having it. I don't, is it supposed to, which way is it supposed to be? Cause I always put. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think Dave Maddox is going to, is going to take yeah. no chart. And, and Maybe it's an English thing because Charlie used to say, I play it the proper way. Uh, yeah. There you go. Right? I play it the proper way, you know, as does Dave Maddox and mm. and yours truly. I don't know if you can see it, but I've got one over the floor, Tom. See, I don't know that how can- you how do you get away with it? Because every time I pull a China symbol out of my bag, they fire me. <laughs> like, <laughs> wrong brilliant. guy. Wrong guy. It was really like a chick web thing, wasn't it? It was the it was the early twenties, thirties yeah. drummers, you know. So he was just playing it the way he intended to yeah. play it, which Fantastic. was yeah. chick web, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think there's. Some, um, I think uh, there's. Some, I, I know he was a fan of Shelley Mann. Shelley, yeah. I think uh, it's yeah, Shelley. Yeah. At, at one stage, before he went to two symbols, Shelley was also. Is it Shelley? Was might be Shelley. I'm not sure, but I know there's one of the one of the famous big band drummers from that era uh, that Charlie was a big fan of. Yeah. I've seen some footage and the guy's got the China symbol, the, uh. the, the <clears throat> proper way up and he's got it up. He's yeah. got it up on his left and he's playing whole choruses with it. I think, I think that might've been a, Charlie may have got that and, and yeah. that may yeah. have been an influence. Yeah. It could have been Mel Dave. Lewis. Mel Lewis oh, was Mel Lewis. Mel Lewis. Yeah, played yeah. or played Davey Tough, maybe kind of symbol like that. Davey Tough for sure. Davey Tough, yeah. yeah. Mel yeah. Mel's was always down on the right hand side, but there's yeah. there is. I wish I could forgive me. I can't remember the name of the guy, but the, yeah, there's some footage of a of a of a drummer from that kind of back into the fifties era, and he's playing the he's playing like a couple of choruses, shout choruses, and he's got it up on the left, and he's and he's yeah. a right handed player, and he's wailing away. Sorry about that, John. No, no, Dave, left. come on. Come on. <laughs> Side the flip right-handed player. Yeah. 
But Dave, Dave, yeah. you have you had you had talked about hang, you know working at Drum City, and I know you and I had talked about this at Drum City, and when all those guys would come in, you know Jack Spearling and all those guys, and you knew you knew them, and I don't know if Charlie ever came in the in the store when you were working, but we talked about that a little bit. Mm. And you I think one thing, yeah, he did once. Um, I I missed. I subsequently met Ringo later, but Charlie, I think did come. I mean, I think he came into the shop quite a few times, but I, I don't remember meeting him. I mean, Mitch and Ginger and all those guys used to come in, and I, I remember those, but I don't remember Charlie coming in. No. Yeah. If, but I'm sure he did because he knew the shop. And he, all, the English, all the English guys knew that shop. Yeah, it was like, as I've yeah. said before, it's kind of like the London equivalent of the pro drum shop in L.A. Yeah. He bought his, um, he bought his, Sky, his second, or no, his first, Sky Blue Pearl kit there. From there, Blue. right. Yeah. Because Ringo had gotten the black, you know, oyster black pearl. Like, oh, I got to get something nicer, you know, something prettier. <laughs> and, the, and the Peisty crash, right? The the uh, the Arbiter six hundred two crash, or is that from? That was, right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That's on all the records. That's the, the bomb. That, the, the bomb. bomb. <laughs> that bright, bright crash symbol you hear on Beautiful. all those records. Yeah. But I was going to say, Chad, you did an awesome interview with Charlie for Drum Channel some years ago. Yeah, and uh, you guys, it was a had a great rapport, and I, I didn't know if you maybe wanted to share a little, or or other times that you because the Chili Peppers, you guys toured with them too, I think, right? We we played um uh, uh one concert or two concerts with them at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and that was my first time that I I had a, any interaction with him, and we're doing a uh, a sound check, and I'm playing, and my tech is like going like this like <laughs> yeah what's the matter he's looking and i, I kind of lean over and there's in the middle of the day and there's charlie standing there in a three-piece suit looking like perfect mm. and he's standing there and he's got the charlie look on his face and come kind of, and i'm like fuck <laughs> funk yeah. songs and there's fucking charlie i'm not gonna look don't look over there you know and i'm playing we get done and and i walk over and and i you know oh you know and i said hey, nice to meet you jesus hey how, how are you doing man he says thanks for playing with us you know like really really nice and then he and then I, at the time i had a a a, a a, a green sparkle pearl kit, which was n new and well, just a green sparkle wrap. And he says, is that, a, is that a new kit? I can't do an English accent. And I said, no, no, I said, that's a new, he goes, I've got one, uh, uh, Mel Lewis. I've got one. I've got Mel Lewis. Oh, green sparkle. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, and, of course you have. Of course you yeah, do. Of course yeah. you, and we had yeah, for a second, and that was kind of. He said, "I'm off. We're gonna we're gonna play later." And yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> later, years later, um, I see. Chad, was the was the interview you did with him with 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 Jim Counter when you were talking about the hi hat thing? Was that the interview you did with him? Um, I I don't remember that. If that was on it, I asked him about where he got that from. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was if it was on the on the in the interview or not. Um, and he told me and I know lots of people kind of thought that Charlie kind of invented that. Of course, he made it very popular. But I think he told me that he saw Levon Helm with Dylan. Uh, 
yeah. 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 No, Dave, that's right. Because uh, it's, true? it's true. Yeah. That interview, Dave, that you're talking about, it's uh, on the drum channel and it's uh, Hal Blaine and Keltner right. and uh, Charlie right. Watts. And then uh, the, the hi-hat thing comes up and then Jim starts sort of telling the story about how he originally got it from uh, Levon. It was the mid seventies, I think, on the record. Um, he referenced the record that uh, the night they drove all old Dixie down. So yeah. that period, and maybe the band was recording at Sammy Davis Jr.'s house. There was a studio or something. Yeah. You know, and all the, like really fun, you know, fun stories. And uh, but Kellner goes on to say that he copped it from Levon, and then that he thought Charlie had told him that he saw Levon do it on the concert of Bangladesh or something like that, you know, and and, um, way back. Anyway, so there was a wild, you know, sort of history of maybe how that evolved. And that's Keltner's story on it. You know, it was really interesting. Yeah, I I think I can't remember exactly where he said, but I think he said he saw Levon do it. But I thought he was doing that like way back. Like, he wasn't doing it in the early in the 60s in the 60s. He wasn't Chad. He didn't. I I don't recall him doing that until the late seventies. Actually, really? Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, that that makes more sense. Um, but you know, obviously famous for leaving out that backbeat, and that's yeah. part of his whole thing. But yeah. um, he was so he was yeah. So you know, Don Lombardi at, at, at DW said, you know, and of course Jim was there, and he said Charlie Watts is coming out to tour the factory. He's gonna. You know, we're working on a snare drum for him. You know, I think maybe you could I have this little show on on there. And he said, maybe you, you would want to interview Charlie Watts. I'm just like, out the door. I'm like, yep, when? Yeah. <laughs> well, and I live close, you know, luckily. And it was that day. And so I got to I got to spend a day with him. We went through the factory and and again he's dressed perfectly in a in a in a in a really, you know, beautiful linen suit. He just looked amazing. We went out to lunch and the people in Oxnard, <laughs> like <it. laughs> you see the waiter just like ah, uh, you know, you've all been with some people, you know, that are known. But Charlie, and and he was just so nice about everything, and uh, again, just a real gentleman, and and um, just a class act. And he and and we went, and then we went through and toured the factory, and he's asking questions that you know the guys that are sanding, and the, you know every every person. You know, he's just like he was just so cool, and I was just like, God, oh, he's so humble and cool, and like this is this is really amazing. He was so interested in everything, like it was it was genuine, like how it's made and the plies, and why do you do that, and what kind of glue and stuff. You know, like he was way into it. Obviously, really into the instrument and a collector, as, as I think all you guys know, he collects so many drums, and he and um, so we get to sit down and I, I, I get talked to him a little bit and, and we're chatting and I said, how did you get into drumming and, and music? And, and it was um, Jerry Mulligan and, and, and I think Charlie Chico Hamilton. Yeah. Chico Hamilton. Thank you. Yeah. And all he wanted to talk about was jazz. That was it. Like I couldn't, I was like, so I'll try me being the Stones fan I like jazz, but I was just kind of nodding and he's literally reeling off like that record in 62 and blah, blah, blah. And that session on August 20th, <laughs> he knew everything. I was going, mm, yeah, really? <laughs> and I was trying to go along with, but he was so, he was so nice. And, and um, it was such an honor, you know, and, 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 but that's, yeah, I, he was, as we know, just a real 
jazz musician at heart, you know? And like, I just got with Alex Corner and then these men and, you know, Brian and, and Mick came and sat in and next thing you know, I had a, you know, I was in like three different bands and you just kind of go with the one that took off and we were just trying to be an R&B band, which was hip at the time. And, you know, obviously we all know what, what, what happens after that, but um, he just had, he just lit up anything jazz oriented. He just loved it and wanted to talk about that. And, and um, you know, he was, he was just great. And um, it was just such a, a, a beautiful uh, day and I'll never forget it. And uh, he was just, uh, you know, an incredible drummer. And as we all know, that, that I think I saw a thing where Stuart Copeland said something that really resonated with me. He said that Charlie's got this ramshackle, but sophisticated, nuanced groove that he's such a band drummer and, and makes such good musical choices, but it's a, but he's a band drummer. He's not a, he's, he's, you know, he's the band, he's the guy for the Rolling Stones. And yeah. it's, as we all yeah. know, that chemistry, that combination of those guys just make that sound for whatever reason, the universe put those guys together and, and, you know, and Charlie just played what was right for the song. You know, he, exactly. He's a great song drummer, as you guys spoke of earlier, not doing fills where it's easy to do, just hammering that groove and making people dance. And he was the king of it. And I did ask him, I said, what do you listen to in your monitors? And he says, well, I have the thing, you know, the thing behind me, the big thing. Yeah. The big thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, and he, yeah. goes, he goes, but really, I just, I have Keith's amp right here. And he says, and that's the way it's been from the beginning. Jesus. And like, it used to be set up on a chair. You know, he goes back in the, in the what would he say, the, the, the screaming girl days, which was quite fun, but, you know, somewhat frustrating musically. But he was like, <laughs> <laughs> he would say, I have Keith Samp. So it's like him and Keith and, and, and that, you know, and let's go. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Wow. Yeah. I just, I just, to that point, I just want to, I want to let you guys tell some more stories. This is so great. But I had last week, I did part one of this and Kenny Jones was, was on there on the show with us. And Kenny had a great quote, similar to what you just said, Chad. He said, he said, Charlie was happy to be the furniture in a band, part of the furniture in a yeah. band. He said that was, you know, what made him happy was just being part of the, you know, not, he didn't want it to be about him. He wanted to be part of the whole pros big picture, so to speak, you know, the sum of all the parts. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Yeah. He, he yeah. always, I mean, and I said, you know, you would see early videos when it wasn't videos were popular or pictures and Charlie would always kind of the other guys were throwing shapes and Mick Jagger <laughs> just looked kind of like you know an eye roll you know like look at these guys you know it was I just love that I was like yeah you know he's like <laughs> miming miming the whole thing yeah. right yeah. right like, it's like just I know this ridiculous. these guys are like ah, yeah. doing all that <laughs> he's just like I you love fools. Look at you all dancing down there. You're all fools. I <laughs> thought the whole thing was ridiculous. What the hell are we doing? Yeah, we and he lie. thought it was. Yeah, yeah. It was too yeah. authentic. <laughs> Analog. It. Well, it, you know, to, here's a point that's an interesting point to me is I read um, Keith Richards' book, and he talks about the fact that Charlie was the working pro. 
And they had to wait until they could afford to hire him. And interestingly, the Beatles tell a similar story that Ringo was the pro. And so it was like the final ingredient with both of these bands was to hire the pro to come and and complete the band. So, yes, he ended up being a great band drummer for the Rolling Stones. But before that, he was the working pro. He was the, let's say, the most accomplished musician that was in that group. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. and I think that's a really important way to see Charlie and and actually Ringo too. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. really interesting to me. To that, yeah. To that point, if I can jump in, he actually the same actually, with my band, by the way. Excuse me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. He actually, oh, ahead, he actually John, quit. Yeah. He actually quit the band after every tour. And would have to get rehired for <laughs> more money, just a little more that's money. That's how you make more money. Negotiate that's how you make more year, money. Yeah. Even up to his last tour, he, he would he would quit the band and have to be rehired. Right. Yeah, love I that. That, yeah. that. That is that's classic. That's. that's... <laughs> <laughs> and and Don, you can speak to this better than anybody here, but I think contrary to what I think a lot of people think, he really enjoyed playing. He really, you know, all the all the the bits about touring and having to all the, you know, the yeah. five minutes of playing and 25 minutes of sitting around. Exactly. But, exactly. but he, 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 he told me that he said, it's, it's, you know, Oh, it's great. He said, it's what, you know, once we get here, I remember him saying to me, like at a gig, once, once we're here, it's, it's great fun. You know, I, I can't fun. imagine doing anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he, he certainly get him out of the house first, you know, get him <laughs> out of the house. And if you can get him out of the house, he's going to have an absolute blast. And, and you know, you know, he's hanging out with his granddaughter, showing her the world, and you know, something that right. he he would cherish doing that, taking her on the road and just doing cool stuff. Um, but once he got with his mates, he wanted to just play, and he he missed he'll miss he would always say he'll miss that, which is basically yeah. the backstage rehearsal, or you know, the show but the showbiz part of it, you know, whatever. He'd he'd so much rather just be uh, playing with his friends. It could be anywhere, you know. But the fact that 80,000 people are out there doing it, sure, whatever. But, you know, once he was on, on stage or in the lifestyle, the carrot was in front of him to do something, to go out every year. I mean, he never missed a single show mm. up until this, you know, this tour. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he really truly is like definitely the hardest drummer, hardest working drummer I've ever known. You know? Yeah. You got Mick Jagger on your back, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to work hard. So. Yeah. Yeah. You, Kenny, you think John Fogarty's tough. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I don't know. I know there might be a, a competition there. I got to say <laughs> something funny that uh, I just thought of. So I don't know what session it was, but somebody said, um, uh, Charlie, are you going to change your heads? And by the way, in Bridges of Babylon, he had had, the same heads on the drums for three years. Right. I'm talking for studio and tour, the same <laughs> ambassador heads. So somebody said to uh, Charlie once, hey, are you going to change? Not you're going to change your heads. No, they said, are you going to tune your drums up? He says, why bother? They're just going to go out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't argue with that, right? Wow. You can't argue. So That's true. Tuning. Yeah, it's overrated wow. anyway, drum tuning. Yeah, it's overrated. Yeah, tuning is overrated. Yeah. overrated. He'll, he'll make anything sound good. He can make anything yeah. sound good. Yeah, that's, that's right. the whole point. I can 
this. I, I, I found that the drums are tuned like a jazz kit, basically. I mean, the right. little kit that he's using, I know the day and you and I spent some time together, spent a lot of time getting it right because they, they the, the, the drums just ring out, which was a big part of Charlie's sound, right? Yeah. The thing about the heads, I, I, you know, I was able to take a couple of photos that day of the kit and, uh, I always use that for an example with young drummers. Like, oh, you know, look at this drum kit. You know, you heard of the Rolling Stones? Of course you have. It's explained to 80,000 people. And look at the drum seat. Look at the pedal. All that kind of stuff, you know. Mm. And forget all the, uh, you know, accoutrements, you know. Get down to, like, learn how to play. Yeah. And the seat was crazy. Don, <laughs> about the, that Charlie sat on? I know when I sat on it, somebody yeah. said, put the weight on it. Be careful. Oh man, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, he just rehashed the old thing. I mean, there's a lot of mojo in that full seat. I had three of them ready to go for him. Yeah, you know, you saw the uh, the Speed King pedal and the Rogers hi hat stand, and of course Keith's uh, Keith Moon's stick bag. But you know, that to a young drummer, you know, really, I think it's inspiring for them to see things like that to know. Yeah, such an accomplished musician. And this is how he plays, and this is his level of success. It's not about having a thousand cymbals or you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the drum heads, it's amazing when you just see them, you know, how they're worn in. And when you see pictures of you know Alvin or people like that, that's what their drum heads looked like too back in the day, didn't it? You know, even John Bonham. Did you ever see how the West was run? You know how when we were little kids, like the the the, the coded ambassador would get dirty, and then you mm. keep playing it, and then the dirt in the middle, the black dirt would be gone in the middle. That means you had to play that drum for, I don't know, a year. Well, when I saw how the West was won, John Bonham, his snare drum had that same look. So these guys weren't hitting as hard as, well, with John, it looked like he was hitting because his hair was flying around. But that's like, I mean, that reminded me when I was a little kid, I had the same snare drum. I, I never broke heads when I was a little kid. Yeah. Now yeah. I break ahead every song. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he certainly would change out. He would certainly change out his head. We would change out. I was going to ask you that, Don. Did he change yeah. often? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every every tour, or if we're going to do a session, right. uh, but not the snare drum. Right. The snare drum, you know, that, that's marinated. That's that's the that's the the right. jewel, you know. But no, no, he didn't change. You know, we every tour, maybe every other tour. I mean, he. He didn't hit super hard. He had a big stick, walked with a big stick. Yeah, I was surprised about that. The thick, yeah, the size, yeah. Yeah, the he's yeah. five Bs, so to say. You know, wow. yeah, things are massive. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, hefty. Yeah, it was a hefty stick. Yeah, did, yeah. Did anyone find that he would lead into a fill when he would do a fill? He would kind of start with like a five-stroke roll, kind of like he would. You know, double stroke fill, mm. stroke into like the single notes. Yeah, I found kind of, I I found that he did that quite a bit, and that made sort of a real uniqueness to his drum fills because he starts off with a double stroke, zoom the whole. Yes, time, you know? yeah. And there was yeah. always that little drag between all those eighth notes or quarter notes. You know, right. the yeah. other hand was always dragging between the. There was right. that little grace note thing he did. With, yeah, all those gave, that, gave it that sort of herky jerky feel to those fills. Um, it's just yeah. amazing. You cannot duplicate that, man. The the urgency, the urgency of working into the fill. You know, yeah. you know, come down on the snare right around that, you know, the 11 o'clock area of the snare mm-hmm. drum. And he would lay into it. 
mute it almost, then drag to the center and then pick it up. Oh, every wow. single one. Did that. So it sounded like it's symbolic. Uh, it like oh, it's symbolic. wow. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Beautiful. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I yeah. mean, just mute the snare eventually. Just yeah. look there in the corner, in the corner right. and just drag did in. He, did, did he hit a rim shot every time he played the snare or was it only Sometimes. the head? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I same with the tom tom. The same, you know, using yeah. the, the tom. All Catch the, the rim or or hit the center yeah. of the head, right? Yeah. Pulling the tone, uh, pulling the tone. Oh, yeah. I got <clears throat> I got a good story about how he influenced me. How I changed a complete song for Mellencamp that became a hit. So, like you know, coming off the hi hat thing. So there's a song we recorded called the Authority Song, and the original hi hat part was accented eighth notes. You know, like we always do with rock, you know, one and two and three and four. And because I was so into the Stones at that time. And uh, so I went and we recorded. I went, fuck this. I'm going to do that Charlie thing. And the bass player immediately turned his head around and looked at me and went, <laughs> oh, fuck. I know what you're doing. He changed. <laughs> he changed his part. Right. It was he was originally following my foot, boom, 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 and he changed it to boom, and then the guitar players had to change their parts. The whole fucking song changed, and it was all I did was take the hi hat off of beat two and four. Yeah, that's that's pretty heavy, man. Yeah, that's heavy. very heavy. That's yeah. heavy. The whole song changed, and it became a hit for for yeah. Mellon. Melon queer. I mean, melon. I mean, military camp. <laughs> hey, Kenny. Kenny. Oh, oh, oh. Still, working, still, working oh, with a, still working with a producer, are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kenny. From man, about that same time, it must have been like '83. I remember you had this coolest photo that was signed from Larry London. And he yeah. signed it like to Kenny, the Charlie Watts of country. I just oh, remember nice. that specifically. You did. That, yeah, I don't know what? if you've seen that photo, but I'll never forget oh. that because you know Larry was such an incredible field player. You know, unbelievable. Oh player. my god, I forgot all about that, Sean. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, I think Damn. you just started working maybe down in Nashville a little bit, and you guys yeah. met. But man, there's yeah. this photo, and the reference was you know Charlie wow. to you, you know. But you know, oh, hey, cool. talking about Charlie's sound and stuff, there is a track, man, that was such a huge imprint on me. It's from the Black and Blue record. And this yeah. would have been like 76. And it's a ballad, Memory Motel. Yeah. I don't know if you guys can remember this track, but it's like that wide open Gretsch Tom thing. And it's almost conversational, like the fills that he's doing, you know, because he played beautiful ballads too, you know, like, yeah. and the way yeah. you guys were talking about how the fills sometimes had that effect of falling down the stairs, but like yeah. so perfectly and unique and like so hard to, you know, recreate that magic. And man, this track, I can't put it on without just start screaming because it's just so damn bad. It's just magical. It's just a tone poem of fucking masterclass of ballad drumming and the fills and speaking the space, with the tom, yeah. you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and then like, yeah. sometimes you'd think it would go down and then he'd come back. Oh, is this poetic? Right, man? right, right. He goes, yeah. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, so yeah, beautiful. like you said, it's that whole end time falling down the stairs. Like, yeah. is he going to get there in time? And there it is. You know, he's. It was a call, right like back. a call and answer. It's really a call and answer with Mick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's so deep. Beautiful. And then wow. uh, on a 
that neighbor's track on Tattoo You, which would have been, I guess, the early 80s. Because, mm-hmm. Kenny, I remember you talking about, you know, that was that wide open neighbor, you know, and it was the wide open, like, clangy snare. And that was such a, for that time, you know, everybody, you know, was sort of, we, the muffled drum sound was sort of the standard. Yeah. And when that came out at that time period on the radio and stuff, I remember that being a huge kind of state right. that was cool, you know, that wide, wide open crazy yeah. snare drum yeah honking like it just honked like a yeah gonk yeah. gonk I you know that. i was gonna say sean to, to your point and i've i've made this comment too it, like charlie never there was never a time um that he sort of conformed to like you say the the drum sounds of of the 70s and even the 80s where they were typically you know deadened certainly not as tom toms i mean they may they may have muffled the bass drum and and you know, for ease of recording, but, but he, he always had this, he was very consistent with his sound, yeah. always big, you know, uh, you know, pretty low pitched sounding Tom Toms, just the two Toms, but really big and full sounding. And, and that was a huge influence on me. And like, as a drummer, like wanting to have that sound, like, you know, Steve, you had that sound in the eighties, um, a big, big sound, but you know, there was a time when a lot of bands, you know, it was like everybody had the same sort of muffled, whether it was concert toms or, or, you know, the dead tom sound. He never, never had that. It was always a really pure sounding drum. Well, so. the drums were tuned like a jazz kit, like I, I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly, Clint. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, obviously, his influence lied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Most, most of my experiences with Charlie were in the jazz world. Mm. And uh, well, I'll, I'll the first I'll just go back to the first time that I met him. It was 1981 and Journey had three shows that we were going to open for the Stones, one at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia and then two of them in a stadium in Buffalo. And uh, George Thorogood was the opening opening act. And then then Journey was to do a, a one hour set. And we got through about 45 minutes of that set before Steve Perry begged Bill Graham to let us leave the stage because the Stones fans were so unkind to us. (laughs) (laughs) So it was it was a very interesting time because we had an album out called Escape, you know, and I had Don't Stop Believing and Open Arms. and, And it was actually the number one album on Billboard and Steve Perry uh, unfortunately, told the crowd that. The silver tongue devil. And there was yeah. all kinds of stuff we getting pelted from the audience. Yeah. And hey, so, so we bad. so not we left as bad as the loo, though. Yeah, we, we left the stage early and then waited about two hours for the stones to even show up. To JFK Stadium. So I remember they played Bob Marley for about two hours. And then and then Stone showed up and, and actually Charlie and Bill Wyman came to our dressing room, which was a trailer, you know, just to say hello and meet us. And that's the first time I met him. And he was an exquisite gentleman, as we all know oh, yeah, and have been talking about. He was very kind and and um and I actually watched him on stage and he went out and tweaked his drums, like kind of like set everything, make sure it was right. I don't think the audience could even notice him, but he was up getting his drums right. And um, 
And then the Stones did their set, which to me at that time seemed pretty ragtag. Like now the concert world is such that bands are are almost all like Vegas reviews. You know, they play along with tracks or they if they don't, they're well rehearsed. <laughs> but they it seemed like they'd play a tune and then they'd, they'd stand around for four minutes talking about, well, what do you want to do next? You know, <laughs> so it's very loose. And yeah. uh, it was it took us to school, let's say, that we thought we were big time, but we were like these little tiny peons compared to these the, the gods on Mount Olympus as mm-hmm. far as the rock world goes. So it was it was kind of an interesting uh, perspective. But <laughs> then go. Let's go. So, Johnny, uh, you jump in here because 2006, I was touring with one of my jazz groups called jazz legacy. And, and we were playing at the regatta bar in Boston jazz club in Boston. And, um, and Johnny brought Charlie down to the gig. Yeah. To check so out. I, I had, I had seen Charlie the night before at a rehearsal in Boston. He invited me to, to uh, a rehearsal and on a Monday night and I'll just, I'll, I'll, t- I'll back up. 10 more seconds. I was on the Amtrak coming back from the modern drummer festival in New York where Steve had played with the band that weekend. And, uh, and I got a call from Charlie inviting me that night to the rehearsal. So I went and, and I said, you know, tomorrow night there's a really great band playing at the regatta bar, Steve Smith, um, jazz legacy. And, and, uh, you know, they paid tribute to all these great jazz bands and, you know, drummers. And I think you'd really enjoy it. And I, and I had taken Charlie to the regatta bar, in 1997 so it would have been nine years earlier to see brian blade with joshua redman and he had a had a great time so he remembered i said you know it's that same jazz club we went to last time and and he said and tim reese who's playing sax with the stones still is um you know charlie said yeah i'd I'd like to go can tim come and i said sure absolutely you know we'll, we'll make it happen so we go the next night tuesday night to see steve with jazz legacy and um I'll, Steve, I'll let you take it over. Dave Maddox was also yeah, there. Dave, 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 yeah. Dave lives in Boston and, and had a, a crew of Zildjian people there. And Dave, of course, was with us. And um, and and Charlie, you know, he he knew who Steve was. He knew who you were, but he had, he said, I, I, I he only knew me as a jazz drummer. He didn't know you as a jazz drummer. Yeah, he didn't know anything no. about Journey, which is like, you know, part of that story is that, you know, so Jazz Legacy was a perfect band for Charlie to see me play with because we played like Art Blakey, music associated with Art Blakey or Elvin Jones or Tony Williams or Philly Joe Jones. Like that's that's what the group was about. Tim Reese knew all the guys in the band, Walt Weisskopf and Andy yeah. Fusco and Mark Soskin, Baron Brown. And so, you know, I I was thrilled to to have Charlie in the audience and because I knew he would appreciate the group and the music. So we played great. It was a really good, really good set. And then afterwards, we went back. They don't really have a backstage at the regatta, but like it was a room, like a hotel room or something. So we were all hanging out in in this room. And I told Charlie the story about getting booed off the stage at JF Stadium, which he was very apologetic about, about that. 
And I remember when you brought that up, Steve, he was really yeah. mortified. It was like, oh, yeah. to be to be to that to you kind of <laughs> If I can, if Steve, if you'll permit me, I, I can remember yeah. it like it was yesterday. I mean, All right. so we're, we're sitting there and, 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 and Charlie was just so kind. And he really was so like, I was sitting with him during the show and he was like, it's like, remember the first time you saw Buddy Rich play? And you were just like jumping up and down in your seat. And you were like, he was practically doing that. He was, you know, Steve and Steve pulled out all the stops that night. And it was, Charlie was like, he's just going like, you know, this is unbelievable. So anyway, we're we're in the the backstage area, Steve's, Steve's dressing room. And, um, and he's saying, you know, it's so great to meet you or something. And Steve said, well, actually, you know, we did meet once before. Really? And he said, well, I used to, I played in the band Journey and we opened for you guys in 1981. And he tells the story, he said, and our singer said, we want to thank you for making Escape number one. And then we got booed off the stage. Early <laughs> space went like, he went like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. And he said, then he went, you were in Journey? <laughs> and, and Steve says, yeah. And, and he said, this is the classic is, were you, were you this good then? Oh, that's right. I remember that. And Steve, that was it. Steve goes, wow. yeah, Steve's like, oh probably God. not. No, probably, probably not. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. I, it was that's like, the phrase. Like, oh, yeah, you, uh, I do remember that now. Yeah. Were you yeah. this good then? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god. But but that that opened the door to like a a bunch of encounters because then I was on tour with Vital Information later that year. We played Ronnie Scott's and he just showed up right and sat right in the front row. So we we got to hang out there. And then right across the street from my house or my apartment in New York City is the Beacon Theater. And and I was walking around go my wife and i were gonna go get some lunch and i saw these rolling stone road cases around the beacon theater so i called johnny and i and i said hey what's going on i see all these stone stones cases there was nothing on the marquee so you called charlie's tech who came to the side door and just let diane and i in to the beacon theater and there was about three people in the audience they were rehearsing for shine a light and they were it was Martin Scorsese was there like with these cameras. So there was like a rehearsal and camera, uh, you know, setting up the cameras. Yeah. So, you know, so that was pretty fun. You know, got to hang with him a little there. And then he invited me to come to the show, which was a total trip to watch. To be Fan so sounded yeah. amazing that night. And then shortly after that, well, shortly, like a couple of years later, Johnny, you and I, saw Charlie at the Iridium with his jazz group. Right. The A, B, C, and D of Boogie Woogie. Exactly. Yeah. That was... Which was really a trip, you know, to, to hear him play in that kind of setting. And, and in my mind, like how I heard Charlie in that kind of setting is something like Art Blakey playing jazz. And, and, I, and I mean... Yeah, there's right with and Keith was Keith Carlock. Keith Carlock, yeah. Keith yeah. Like he'd keep a really solid groove. Like for instance, like the the tune Monin by Art, you know, that Art Blakey recorded. He keeps just a really solid swing and groove through the whole tune. And it's not like bebop drumming. It's it's like 
you know, straightforward, almost like blue shuffle kind of drumming, but it's definitely jazz oriented. And that's that's how Charlie sounded to me playing with that group, which was which was really, you know, a treat to experience that. And he had a beautiful uh, vintage Gretsch kit that night. Yeah, and then yeah. then the, the very last time that I saw him um, was actually his 74th birthday. And and it was at the Dakota Jazz Club in, in Minneapolis. And I was playing there with Vital Information uh, on June 3rd. And Tim Reese was playing there on June 2nd, which is Charlie's birthday. Right. And, and I had gotten there the night before. I'd gotten there on that night, June 2nd. And, and Tim Reese, the saxophone player, knew that, that I was there. And he called me and he said, yeah, right. Would you come down to the Dakota? Because it's Charlie's birthday. I, he has a band that plays jazz versions of Stones tunes. And he was playing at the Dakota Jazz Club. And he said, if you come down, I know Charlie will come down. And, you know, I want him to hang out. So I said, absolutely, I'll come down. So so I came down and, and Lowell Pickett, who runs the Dakota, put Charlie and I up in this booth, like the he called it the Prince booth. So we could kind of be up in the balcony watching, watching the, the group and then have some privacy. So we, we hung out, it was uh, just a lot of fun to hang. And then we both sat in. So Tim called, called me down and I played Take the Cold Train and, uh, you know, straight ahead jazz. And then uh, a few tunes after that, Charlie came and sat in and played Brushes. It sounded really great playing playing with brushes. So it was, you know, quite some quite interesting experiences, like mainly in, in the jazz world. So he got to really, you know, get get into like talking about like everyone was saying, like Chad was saying, like talking about the jazz stuff. You know, we really got deep into talking about all the great jazz drummers and great jazz musicians. So had some fun exchanges. Yeah. Steve, I remember going to the Dakota with Charlie that night and and watching you play uh -huh. and being, being next to him and him just like, you know, look at what he's doing. Look at that. Oh, oh he didn't do that before. Oh, look, oh, look at his right hand. Oh, check out that ride symbol. He was really, he was enamored with your playing. He really liked wow. It. That's uh -huh. a trip. Yeah, it was a treat. It was a super cool treat. For me. Yeah. I, I, if you guys, I just love, oh, ahead, I just love the, were you that good back then? Yeah, yeah. No, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Steve, Steve's like, probably not. No, yeah. <laughs> That's so classic. Yeah. Were you that good then? Um, uh, I just got to tell a quick, I, I may have told some of you guys this. It's a story that's it's the, maybe my greatest memory of, or time that I spent with Charlie. Um, this was 2008. It was in springtime, March, or, or around that time. Uh, I was in London to do we used to do these get-togethers with artists and so i'd go there for four or five days ahead of the frankfurt show and in this particular occasion it was the day after we had done this big artist gathering and i'd invited charlie as i did every year and and this he seemed very close to coming this time and in the end he he didn't come but he invited me to lunch the next day which was a friday with him and sherry daly who um don knows and some of you guys probably know sherry um Charlie used to work for the Stones and and Charlie's assistant. So 
I go down and I meet them at this really nice restaurant in Chelsea near where Charlie's flat is. And uh, we have this fantastic lunch. It's a beautiful spring day. It's, it's, you know, on, you know, on the warm side. So we finished lunch and Char- it's about, you know, two in the afternoon or something. And Charlie said, what do you have to do now? Where do, you, do you have anywhere to go? And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to just walk back to my hotel. I'm staying up on Regent street. And he said, well, I have some errands to run up in at Piccadilly. You, do you want to come along? I said, sure. Yeah. It was a beautiful day to walk. So we actually went to his flat for a minute uh, to pick something up. Then we walked along Hyde Park and it was, we, and, and the point of getting at is we talked about, he just, almost the entire time talked about jazz drummers, his heroes. I remember him talking about seeing Gene Krupa as a young kid and the influence that had on him and, you know, the the effect it had. And he said, you know, Gene Krupa in those days, he was a matinee idol. He said he had this long, he had this black hair, like, like you, he said, and (laughs) crazy form, you know, it was just like, and he was so animated and so excited talking about it. So we're having this amazing day. Honest to God, we're walking along Hyde Park and this guy's coming, walking toward us. And he, he looks at us and he goes, it's you. And Charlie was so great. He went, hi, how are you? And he shook his hand. And it was like, it it was such a, 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 well, um, he, he acknowledged the guy without, engaging too long and i'm sure you guys know how that goes you know you 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 certainly don't want to just snub the guy but he acknowledged him said hello and then we just kept walking and then charlie said i i thought he was talking to you or something and i went no no he was he was talking to you (laughs) recognize you we're walking along we're having this great conversation and i'll try to keep this story short because it has a tendency to go long but we first go to his shirt shop where he has his shirts made and I go in there and he introduces me to the man who makes his shirts as a very important man in the music business. And this was unbelievable. I, I'm sitting there like thinking, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just a schmuck. You know, <laughs> you guys all know me, you know, I'm, I'm not important. And, and he said, he said, you know, um, you know, drummers like Roy Haynes and Elvin Jones, if they need something, they call him. He, and, and the guy's like, Oh, wow. That's, that's cool. You know? So we leave the shirt shop. We go to his shoemaker, who's also in the um, the arcade there. And uh, if you know, German uh, Street. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And we went to we went to the two arcades are like opposite each other. There's the um, there's one that has a great Rolex vintage Rolex shop in it. Anyway, we so we go from one to the next to his to his shoe shop, and he tries on some shoes that were made for him, and and um, and he those he took he took in a box with him. And he introduces me again to the, to the man there as a, you know, very important man in the music business. And the guy couldn't have been nicer. And I'm wearing, you know, like my, my store-bought Colhan shoes. And, uh, and he says, well, you know, if ever, you know, if ever I can be of service to you. And I'm thinking, thank you. You know, I humbly like, you know, in my, <laughs> in my, my Colhan shoes. So anyway, it's now it's getting to be about four o'clock in the afternoon and, he said, where do you have to go now? Do you have to be anywhere? And I said, no. I said, my hotel's just, just around the corner there on Regent Street. And uh, he said, how about a coffee? And we had walked by the Woolsey um, restaurant there on, on Piccadilly. And he had said, as we walked by it, that they were going to be having his daughter's 40th birthday party there, like in a couple of weeks. And his daughter, you know, turned 40 in 2008. So so anyway, so we're, we're done doing the errands. And he said... Um, you know, let's, let's have a coffee. So we look up and there's a Starbucks, like, I don't know, 
couple hundred feet away, we both went, yeah, we're not, we don't want to go to Starbucks. And he said, how about tea at the Wolseley? And I, and I said, great, great idea. So we, we walked down a couple of blocks to the Wolseley. And as I say, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. And um, I didn't even think anything of it. I just figured it'd be empty. We go in there and it's just rocking. There's people at the bar drinking martinis. It's, you know, tons of people in there. We go up to the hostess and um, Charlie says, um, two for tea. And this young girl, probably in her early 20s, says, um, it's going to be about a 30-minute wait. And we kind of both went, eh, we're not going to wait 30 minutes. So we start to leave. We turn around to leave. And I'm thinking, well, that's the end of that. This man comes out of nowhere, grabs both of us by our shoulders and said, right this way, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Takes us inside. And that scene from Goodfellas, if you remember the movie where Ray Liotta can't get a table and all of a sudden this table comes out of nowhere in the club, like they just go, <laughs> right this way, you know, like, so it's the same thing. It's like this table magically appears and, and Charlie turns to me and says, they must know who you are. <laughs> You're a very important person in the music business. Yeah, very important. Exactly, John. Exactly. That's oh, man. great. It was, it was, it was the capper of the day. And um, <laughs> So anyway, we, we sit down and, and uh, Elton John, his manager, comes over and says hello to Charlie. And, you know, it was a, just this unbelievable dream, like surreal day. And, and uh, you know, we finally we, we finished our tea and, and we went our separate ways or whatever. And who paid got for back tea? To the ho- who paid? <laughs> he, <laughs> he paid for tea, insisted on paying for tea. I'd, I'd bought lunch. And he, he wouldn't, good. he wouldn't hear of it. Yeah. He wouldn't hear of it. Me, of course you know, not. Yeah. He said, you got, you know, I said, well, Charlie, you know, it's like, uh, it's a company card. He's like, no, 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 I'll, I'll please. I'll, you know, I'll get this. <laughs> he has a company he, card too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was so, but he was so generous like that, but he, um, but I got back to the hotel. My wife was with me on the trip and I, I, and she's like, how was, how was lunch with Charlie? I'm like, sit down. Are you You're kidding not gonna me? Do this. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I told her the whole thing. It was, yeah, just an incredible day. And that was, trust me, that was the short version of this, of the, of the story. Cause that's really right, nice. good story, Johnny. Good one. Right. That's really yeah, nice. Was, yeah. Sean, I think you had a, you had a story you wanted to tell. Well, you know, I had this amazing night um, where Charlie showed up on a gig. It was Chuck Laval's uh, Chuck Laval made this big band record. And um, so they were in between like some dates. And uh, so we had this gig here in New York and uh, it's like, man, Charlie's going to come down. Charlie's going to come down. I'm like, oh, but that is crazy, you know. And uh, he showed up and I'm trying to remember, Don, were you there that night? Did- I was. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. He, he had been hopping around to some some gigs. Uh, Bernard had a gig and I can't remember the guy's name. It's other fantastic drummer. And he was all about that. But he showed up and he's like side stage. He's like, are you going to play? Because if I if you're gonna play, I'll jump and jump up and help out. And he's like, no, I don't know. Well, maybe, but no, maybe not. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> he could, right. But he it was great. And you, you, I'm looking for a picture of that night, actually. Yeah, uh, I had I had a couple just because it kind of reinforces what you guys were saying about how joyful. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Like there it is. This photo of him and and you know he's like sitting down just checking oh, out the drum. Oh, great! But there's this huge smile on his face, and it's just like this childlike enthusiasm of like you know, yeah. drums. Fuck, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know, like incredibly gracious, just like super nice, and a gentleman. And uh, I I just remember at the end, I, you know, I I got to sort of hug him, and I just said in his ears, oh. I said, "Man, please." 
please know in your heart what an inspiration you've been since the drumming world and all of us. I mean, you know, and it was just so great. It was really magical. And um, he sat in and played a tune, you know, and um, I remember it's sort of what Kenny was saying at the beginning, like he'll do something like there's, a, I have a little clip of him, you know, I was trying to capture some of him playing. And man, just the way he hit a damn cymbal it had this conviction to it and, you know, it wasn't super hard, but there was such intent behind it. And I remember the snare drum. I remember you guys talked about maybe if the snare drum, if he should do it, tilt it. And then he decided not to, and he just played, you know, and he, uh, he was like, don't bother. Why would, why bother? It's like, he would say that a lot. Like, yeah. why bother? It's like, what do you mean? Why bother? It's Charlie. But man, he, was, yeah. he, was he didn't want to mess with you. He didn't want to mess with what you're already, you've already established. Cause he's like, you, you've already dialed it in. I don't yeah. want to mess up his situation. Very humble. You know? Very humble and yeah. giving. But his joy for music yes, just off the charts. That child, And, you know, Keith has that, too. Keith Richards. Yeah. I, I had this lucky thing once I got to play with Keith and do a track. And it Peter was, Wolf, right? Yeah, Peter Wolf. Were you at yeah. that, too? I wasn't in that, no, but I know, I know it well. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, but both of them had this parallel childlike love about music, man. And, and um, it, you know, it's so inspiring when you're around people that have been in the business so long that like RJ did or dark or, you know, hey, can, this is such a hard business to age gracefully. You know what I mean? And man, yeah. being around those kind of spirits. Uh, Unless you're Clem Burke. Yeah, yeah. Perfect hair. Look yeah. at his hair. Perfect. Yeah. No, sorry, Sean. No, no, no. just hey. about everything you guys have been saying about how magic he was as a spirit and kind and mm. this childlike joyfulness about playing music still. And anyway, I'll never forget it. It was That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I just one of the other things I just loved how he carried himself. Mm. I mean, we, we, we've all analyzed the, the, the playing and the music so much, which was just great. But but just how he carried himself. Yeah. Mm. Just that not just the antithesis of kind of yeah which is pre prevalent in uh, <laughs> yeah you know i mean you know everyone's different but uh, no he's just he's just really cool i met i met him before i met that before i, I met him that time with um, steve and john at the at the regatta bar when i when i went to see steve's band i was doing a session for glenn johns must have been mid 70s um, and he rolled up because he knew he was very tight with Glenn, and he rolled up with a half a crate of vodka for the band. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I thought you might like a little refreshment. Uh, and at the time, I was at the time it was before I went with Yamaha, and I was playing a Gretsch kit. It was a round batch Gretsch kit. So immediately, you know, that happened. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, 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 I remember that that night at Steve's gig that you guys were were chatting and and talking about. Having met before and and all the all your mutual friends and and uh, and that and that's why that picture of the three of you I think he I th I think he asked to have a picture with you and Steve like the three of you guys like really? I don't want the rest wow. of you you punters in this I just want <laughs> yeah. how about how about me and the and the two real drummers you know yeah yeah nice <laughs> there's also a a picture of Charlie and I from that night with my mom and dad. Right. Oh, were they were there, Steve? Because my parents right. were there that night. Right. You know, right. I'm I'm from Boston originally, yeah. or that area, the Boston area, and so my parents were there, and and they, Charlie and my mom and dad, started talking a lot, and and 
And they ended up talking for a long time. So each and every time that I'd see Charlie after that, his first question was, so how's your mom and dad? He would always ask me about That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Pretty cool. Hey, Don, Don, uh, Don, speaking of like the, the, all the drum kits and stuff, I mean, he must have like, because he was sort of a collector, right? So he must have like just tons of stuff. Collected a few things. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is all that sort of in storage and then will it maybe be like. Is, Mac, is Maxwell going to do that photo book? Well, there's, there's talk of a lot of things and, um, you know, his collection is, is grown exponentially over the years. And uh, Steve has found him some amazing stuff. Um, Don Bennett has found him some amazing stuff. I've found him a ton of stuff over the past 10 years or so. And, and the idea eventually, I mean, it's, it's a private family situation. It's a private family situation they want to deal with eventually. And there's been a lot of talk about doing a, a photo book. I've taken a lot of photos of this stuff and uh, um, gotten underway with, with an exhibition. Um, I, I handled all the exhibition items for the stones and uh, restored or preserved all of his items. So everything's sort of slowly accumulating. He's, he was never in a rush to get any of this together. So eventually, um, let the, you know, eventually it'll come to fruition. We'll do something really cool. And um, there's a lot of pieces. I mean, yeah, he was found yeah. a million things. I, I was lucky enough to find him, you know, talk with DJ Fontana and get DJ's kit, wow. to go to the right place. And Gene Krupa's last items from his widow and uh, George Wetling's items, David, wow. you know, Fletcher Henderson's items, Baby Dodds. I mean, a lot of stuff. Maxwell has found him a ton of great stuff as well. And all these, but you know, beyond that, like some of his favorite items were like original acetates of Billie Holiday or percussion King, the Krupa percussion King stuff, or, wow. um, mm. you know, you know, the horn for the cotton club, you know, unbelievable. Wow. So, you know, Thank he's had God. me, he's right. had me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's his contribution to the jazz world, yeah. but also some rock and roll. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff, but beyond drums, you know, Benny Goodman's watches to Krupa, you know, really? wow. or, or, or a gift from Keith, you know, which is yeah, um, Duke Ellington's diamond encrusted watch, or, you know, this signature. I mean, there's thousands of signatures. There's a lot of stuff. Well, it sounds like a museum in the making. Well, yeah, sure. that's the idea. That is the yeah. idea. Great. It, it'll eventually, you know, put everybody together that that can help, and we'll we'll make it happen. Yeah. But it yeah. there's no rush. Ooh. Yeah, Mickey, you were, were you going to say something? Mickey? Yeah, the kit the kit that I saw him play the, the couple of times uh, we were opening for them was an old Gretsch kit. Did he use the same kit all the time live? Well. The blonde Gretsch? When yeah, you, the, the maple you were, Now, you were with T-Bone Walk, weren't you, during that? Yes, period? yes. God rest his soul. I, yeah. I knew Bone very well. And oh, great. Recording yeah. with him and through the NRBQ guys, you know, with... Of course. Tommy, yeah. Tommy Artelino and Joey Spock. Yeah, 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 yeah. We would do... Luke um, just mentioned the only other guy that actually can play parts like that is, was Tommy Artelino. That's you know? true. I, That's very swing. true. I'm glad you... I'm glad you... Drummer, man. Swing. I'm glad you... You know that, you know that John. We were in a session together. Um, Glad Dave, you brought his name up. Yeah. Dave, we went to a session that you were doing over at Andy's in Cambridge. And I brought Tommy in and with T-Bone. But anyways, yeah. that blonde that blonde kit, um, he's had that since 78. Right. And, you know, you'd only use that kit for a lot of stuff. And 
Where, what year, what vintage is that kit? <laughs> Any, it, is, it a, is it a sort of mishmash of things or was it? Potentially. It was definitely a wrap kit. Yeah. And, um, I was lucky. He asked me to, to restore it because all the, the bottom rims, and yeah, all the, right. front, the, front, the front rims, they take them all off and they get chewed up. Yeah. Everything was, things were just mismatched, you know? So I had to re, sorry, but I recut the edges. Well, yeah. On, on the, on the, on the resonator sides anyway. Oh, is that right? Because he just needed it, you know? But yeah. He got them back and he's like, there's my drums. Oh, nice. Sing again. There's no, yeah, yeah. there's no gates. There's no muting. There's no yeah. nothing. So he so was that, using that kit for sure. Yeah. 78. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you play with him, he was definitely using it. Great. Before that. Did, it was on the did Don, yeah. Don, did Richard King help him put a, together a repro for when they did those little sets in the middle of the stadium he found him a bass drum right yeah uh and then there was the b kit the b stage kit which was a, that's what a, i meant right yeah. that's the yeah, one yeah yeah. yeah yeah it was kind of yeah. then i guess supposedly i wasn't around during then but they didn't have much time to get it together and um whoever restored it i forget his name but just put on it you know a, it wasn't a nitrocellulose lacquer finish it was it was close yeah. enough but they had like three days to get it together. So, but you know, it was Charlie, so it could have been a cardboard box. It would have sounded yeah, like exactly. that. well, yeah, exactly. Street fighting, street fighting man. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Clint, yeah, I was going to ask you. I was going to just ask you, as and I know you guys. I so appreciate your time in doing this and and spending so much time doing this. But that that picture of you, Clint, that you showed me with you and Michael Shreve. And Don and I were talking about that too. I'm, I'm just curious if if you had anything you wanted to share about that that time with him because I think of you as being like a link to Earl Palmer and all those guys that Charlie loves so much and and you uh, and you know knowing Hal the way you knew him and did you talk about stuff like that about? Sure. <clears throat> uh, first of all, I'd like to Don, thank Don McCauley for putting that together that day in uh, Seattle in 2019 when I uh, got to spend some time with Charlie, as you can see in the photo there. And uh, yeah, we uh, kind of commiserated about Earl Palmer quite a bit. Uh, in fact, you know, Earl used to do a gig uh, across from NBC in Burbank at this place called Chadney's uh, every Tuesday for quite some time. And uh, most Tuesdays, if I was around, I would go see Earl play. He would uh, play the first set and then he would kind of become the MC of the night and uh, orchestrate different musicians getting up. I've seen, you know, Erskine play there, uh, Carol Kay, you know, People would just get up and play and Earl would be like a brilliant host. So one night I'm sitting there and uh, all of a sudden, I, you know, I glance over and uh, Jim Keltner and Charlie walk in. <laughs> Not only did they just, have, you know, in this very intimate setting, but as we all know, if you really want to see what a drummer's doing, you have to kind of watch it from the side or from like overhead, right? Looking straight on, there's not really not that much to see. So I'm looking at Earl. Next thing I know, Next to next to Earl, like they pull up some tables, some chairs, Charlie, Jim sitting sideways like that, watching Earl play the whole time. No pressure. So I had this video. No <laughs> you know, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, you know, when I actually got introduced to Charlie through Don, um, we talked about that. And Charlie was like, oh, you were there that night. I remember that, you know. And uh, as everyone was saying, how gracious and uh friendly Charlie was, you know, and really, uh, you know, he, uh, he invited me into the dressing room and it was he and I for a while at first. 
And then Mike came in. And funny enough, I had been at RPM Studios in uh, New York City when they were doing the Dirty Work album. And uh, coincidentally, Mike had was there as well that night. So we kind of talked about that. But then, uh, interestingly enough, when Don Bennett showed up and he had some uh, like bass drum heads, like vintage bass drum heads that he was going to give to Charlie. So afterwards, you know, uh, the PA came in and said, Charlie, you know, it's time for the, uh, the meet and greet. Uh, so uh, Charlie says to me, well, you stay here. Stay right there. I'll be right back. And then the, the PA goes, no, Charlie, they're all coming this way. He has to go. Right? So, yeah, of course, I run right into Keith and I'm like, hi, Keith. You know, he, he didn't want to know anything. But uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Bennett, funny enough, said to me, oh, because, you know, Charlie really well, right? I go, no, I go, I never met him before. Why, uh, why do you say that? He said, well, the way, the way you two were getting on, it seemed like you were old friends. Mm. So it was like, that really touched me when he yeah, said that. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's yeah. great, Ken. So that yeah, was, that's beautiful. It was great. It was a great day. And uh, I can't thank Don enough for putting that together. Of course, uh, with Charlie passing, a lot of memories of that. Yeah. So. I remember very well that he was introducing, <laughs> introducing you as a, uh, as the drummer from Blondie, and he was like, he's like, oh, that's like that four four thing with that blonde girl, right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. He definitely has that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got yeah. the he's got the, the four four push thing, you know. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's him. And that's what it is. Yeah, great fucking hair too. Like you know, you put, you, put you and Ronnie together, man. Like two of you were like, like yeah. you guys went off on each other because yeah. I was like, Ronnie, check out. You were like, you guys were like, you know. yeah. <laughs> Look at each other. <laughs> when we had that song heart of glass you know it was kind of the, yeah. like all these rock bands went disco so to speak and it would as miss you was out kind of yeah. right there yeah. and also uh, carmine with do you think i'm sexy so uh, right. was, yeah those three songs together and think about you know we all sold out at the same time to the oh buddy <laughs> no man they were kick the shit out of that clem come on man. <laughs> yeah how many rock and roll how many rock and roll bands could do disco and you guys come on hugely hugely well, anyway, better at that important that it was brilliant and i'll never forget it you know it's great great that was actually you know i think it's i think it's safe to say don and correct me if i'm wrong but you know once you kind of pass that charlie test you know two years later right now if charlie were with us you'd be you know, you'd be in his, in his circle, you know what I mean? You'd be at that gig and, and he'd be, he'd be saying to Don, he's Clem coming tonight. You know I mean? It's, yeah. it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's really great about that. You know, like, it's know. Quite amazing. I, I'll just, yeah. I'll just say a, a quick funny, the last time I saw him two years ago in, in, in Gillette stadium, I was on the vineyard. It was in the summertime and I, I Don and I had been in touch about it. And I said, man, I, I can't get a ferry off the freaking vineyard. Worst case is I'm going to just go off on foot take a car service to the stadium, you know, but it, it just would have been a real hassle. I wanted to have my own car to sort of get around. So anyway, I, I finally got a, I was able to get a ferry to get off the Island. And it's hard to get on that ferry. If you don't book ahead of time, if yeah. you don't yeah. book ahead of time, especially in the summertime, it's like, it's madness. Yeah, so yeah, so I got it all squared away. And, and Don, Don, I remember you said, you sent me a text. I said something like, you know, we have some friends staying during that time, but I'm just going to bug out for the day. And and you said, it's good that you know your priorities or something like that. So anyway, I got a pass from the wife anyway. And I, and I, um, long story short is I, I get to the venue. It was a hellacious day of like travel and, and the traffic of getting into the stadium. And I finally get there and I get to the designated, designated spot to meet Don. And Don, Don McCauley, by the way, is just 
the guy is just a prince and he's juggling a thousand things. Clem, you know what I'm talking about? He had a bunch of my co ex coworkers from Zildjian there that night. I think there were like 10 or 15 people with their like kids and their wives and their, mm-hmm. and I'm just by myself and I'm just kind of standing off to the side. And, and uh, you said to me, he knows you're here. Mm-hmm. He's got to deal with some things. I got to do this, but I'm going to get you back there. So anyway, you, you brought me in and I got to spend some time with them. And then all the, the Zildjian folks came in and had their meet and greet. So it's getting close to showtime, similar to what you were saying, Clement. And, I'm saying goodbye to Charlie. And as I'm walking out, like him following the group, and he said, where are you going? And I yeah. said, well, it's, it's almost time. He's like, well, I, I've got more time. If you, unless you've got to be oh. somewhere, if you've got to, and I'm like, well, I don't have to be anywhere. Well, then <laughs> you can stay if you want. You don't have to. It was like this, like an old married couple, you know, like you, <laughs> you, you can, you don't have to, you can stay, but you don't have to. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to stay. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You know? So it, it, yeah, nobody's going to pressure him into slowing, you know, uh, yeah. altering his day. I mean, you know, there's, there's time right. schedules you got to work with, but it's like, exactly. Whatever. I think it was literally, yeah. His PA coming in, or maybe it was you, Don, that said like, you know, 15 minutes, like we got to start walking yeah. toward the stage. So okay. yeah, had to go, but it was, it was a, it was the last time I saw him in person and it was a wonderful memory to just, and thank you, Don, as always for accommodating the way you, you did so well, you know, and do so well. No, no. You, There's you, a lot for you, John. Well done, man. Yeah. Hey, Don, did, did you enjoy your time listening to that? Did, did, you know, different people have different rituals. Did he have any like pre-show rituals at all? Or, or was he just, just oh yeah, just show up. Oh yeah, yeah no, Don. No. Yeah, I, he always had his practice pad and his sticks right. on Is his table. Right? And his, yeah, and and uh, he had a million. He had a you know we'd buy him a little record player and buy him a CD player and all these things and a bunch of bunch of cool jazz CDs. You know, here check out this Prez Hall new Prez Hall thing. You know, check this out. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, great. I got yeah, all right, cool. It would always be Benny Goodman, or you know, it'd always oh, yeah. be the same. It'd be the same tunes. And he would wow. listen to that and just, you know, we have candles for him. And it was the cotton club. He's, he's in the cotton club, you know, Yeah. very small circle of people that know John, you know what I'm talking about, but, yeah. you know, we come in, Clem, you do, you know, all you guys really, but it was his little ritual is to not think about rock and roll, not to think about what he's got to do. He's, he's thinking about what would these jazz greats do? And that was his, that was his warm up was listening to jazz. But then, you know, he would also do this little thing. He'd get up behind Pierre's work box, you know, which is the, you know, the center of the universe behind the drum kit, which is this massive road case. Pierre has introduced me to this whole world and brought me into this whole world. Um, wherever, wherever he would go to and conjure and, you know, before they go out on stage and uh, he would just sit there and wiggle. He'd start doing his little, you know, cotton club yeah. dance, like, like the, like the, like the cotton club dancers did. And that was his thing is loosen up the hip flexors and, you know, get, get comfortable and loose and, and, um, and not think about what he had to do, you know, just, and my job is to make sure that he has his best show no matter what. And think about all the problems that are going on or, you know, if there's issues, but he'd be like, yeah, that was just, that was his ritual. That's what he would do. So he didn't have a kit or a practice kit backstage Uh, or anything like that. He had like a little pad smaller than this. Like when I I went to the the older version, older version of that yeah well it was yeah. like that big it, at the beacon yeah. when i when yeah. they did the sound check of the beacon and and he put it on top of a road case and just right. played single strokes or double strokes or something 
but no backstage, no no little kit or anything like that. Uh, well, there was always a kit backstage for if they were to rehearse backstage. All right, but there's a kit up on stage, and if it was a hot day or it was raining, we'd go backstage. I'd always set it up. Um, he'd go back once in a while, and that you was can a, see actually, it in this picture. Oh yeah, there. That's the little that's the little practice card. Yeah, yeah. But the kit, we brought out a few different kits, but the last one that he brought out, uh, we brought out last two tours was a kit that John Ferraro had purchased for him um, through Chooch McGee. And it, oddly enough, it's the first one in, cat- in the catalog, you know, cataloging his stuff. It's this beautiful white marine pearl, little Gretsch, you know, 12, 14, 20. And he'd always, he'd always have it back there. Um, seldom play it. Seldom play it. But uh, it was also the hang, you know, the pre-ritual too is to hang together as a band. Because mm. that was as powerful as what they're about to do. You know, playing is like, comes natural. Yeah. You know, it mm-hmm. totally just come natural to him. Uh, he'd, he'd keep loose, the dexterity. He'd keep very loose with his hands, with a practice pad. But it was, like, it was the hang of those guys all going from room to room and hanging out to, to each other. That's, That's pretty cool to hear. There's that. a lot to yeah. say about, yeah. you know, the unity of, of their mates, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. Just yeah. like the Everly yeah. brothers, right? The Everly exactly. brothers. <laughs> Just hang. Oh, yeah. Just exactly. hang. Yeah. It's like the police. Aerosmith. Yeah, man. I got it. I just. Or the kinks. The kinks. Hey, on that note, you guys, I actually have to go to sound check. Seriously. Oh, good okay, luck. Thank you. Right, Kenny. Yeah, good thank luck. you. Right, I'll, spare you, I'll spare you my last good story then, you. Kenny. But thank you so good, much, Kenny, for good doing to see this. Everybody. Nice to well, see you, Kenny. Great yeah. seeing yeah. everybody. Bye bye. Take care. See you. Good Good to see you, Kenny. Love you, Kenny. See you. See you, buddy. Thank you. I'll just I'll just tell one more quick story to that to Don's point. Um, that picture I just showed with Charlie's practice pad and sticks that was at Gillette Stadium five years ago, mm. a private show they did that Don was you know was oh, yeah. gracious enough to accommodate and those are all uh, news now. We do a bunch of those for for props. Yeah, that's like yeah, it's well, no big deal now. No big but it was deal. like it was October of 2016, just before the election. We were talking about the election and all that nonsense. But, um, but anyway, during the course of the time in his dressing room, he, he said, I've got to talk to Ronnie about something. Um, come with me to Ronnie's dressing room. And I went into Ronnie's dressing room and Ronnie had just, um, his twins had just been born. They were newborns and they're in there with him. And he's, you know, he's sketched out the set list for the night on a big, like white whiteboard. And, and he's playing some music and he's, you know, Ronnie's sort of like dancing around in the room and really happy and skippy. And then Keith comes in, but, Charlie reintroduces me to Ronnie and this was a real magic moment for me anyway, because we had just been talking about drums and gear and, and all that stuff. And, uh, and Ronnie said, Oh yeah, the, the Zildjian guy. And, and I had been gone at that point for like three years from Zildjian and, and Charlie said, not anymore. <laughs> now he plays them. Yeah. And, it, and it was like, it was so heavy. You guys, I think you can appreciate that. Yeah. You know, like I, he acknowledged me as a drummer, which I mean, what could be better than that? Right. That's I mean, great. It, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was, I drove home that night going, holy shit. Like, wow. You know, it was a, it was a really great moment. Nice. Um, anyway, I, I, I so appreciate all you guys taking time to do this today. This has been so much fun. Um, thank you, John. Thank, thank you for the invite. Yeah, yeah. it was really Thanks. great. Thanks. Thank you for putting it together, Johnny. Yeah. Oh, just one thing. One thing I want to say is um, we haven't talked about is is what Steve Jordan is doing right now. And Steve Jordan is, you know, I'm out here with him right now on tour, and 
He's killing it. Yeah. He's, he's playing great. It's, it's been a real roller coaster for him, you know, to yeah. go through this. And as everybody, I mean, we were, got to know that he was going to pass shortly before he did. So that mm. some of us were conditioned, you know, but we we're out on the road during rehearsal. Yeah. And, and Steve had to switch from being the fill in guy to being like, they might not let you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the realization of that and the realization of now you have to really, really honor. And that was a big thing, just honor the part. And I just got to say, shout out to Steve Jordan, who's just a fantastic guy, fantastic drummer, finding his oh, way, man. finding his way in this thing yeah. that none of us, there's, there's a few people that could do it. And yeah. he's definitely on the top, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's the right guy. He's the right guy for the job. He's the right, right guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. His attitude, his attitude towards it is yeah. great. It's great. Uh, that's you know, great. on the last one I did a couple of days ago, everybody said the same thing. Steve Gadd and Rick Murata and Andy yeah. Newmark, all who know Steve very well for a long time, said the same thing that, you know, they they got the right guy. He's yeah. honoring it. He's he'll he'll do it right. And I didn't even I didn't want to put you in a weird spot by mentioning that, Don. So I'm so glad you. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah. all that's good. Yeah. But on the table, he's he's uh he's finding he they're fine. You know, Keith is just loving it and yeah. everybody's loving it. And Steve is loving it. But we all realize and Steve definitely realizes, you know, there's things that he'll never be able to accomplish. Yeah. You know, it's going to take a lifetime. Yeah. But but he's hitting it and he's doing it. And we, despite anybody's judgments or whatever, it, that doesn't matter because Charlie wanted him on that seat. Right. And uh, right. I was fortunate to talk right. to him just. A handful of maybe a week before he passed called me and and he told me about it and he was all right you know he's okay with this yeah yeah you know? yeah that's huge all right yeah. that is huge thanks that thanks for huge. sharing that that is yeah. yeah thank you don thank you Ooh. well gentlemen it's been a great honor having you here today thank you so much um thanks, i'm gonna john. probably be reaching out to some of you guys to do one of these with me as a standalone too. So just be, you might want to change your email addresses <laughs> and your phone numbers when we're done. John, here, John let me you're just not dying. Are you? <laughs> oh, oh man. No, I'm just trying to find Chad, you asked me, you asked me when I, when I saw you. At, <laughs> I'm going to ask you yeah. to do something for me. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> when I, Chad, when I saw you at Hal Blaine's birthday party, you said to me, what are you doing? What are you doing with yourself? Yeah. What are you? I said, dying, are you? I said, I got grandkids and I played. Got... Wasn't that great that we got to see how Payne play the drums at 90 years old? Oh, wow. that was so great. That was unbelievable. So what a blessing that was well, to well, be in that room. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was a cool right night. After that, literally like yeah. maybe left That's right. Yeah. yeah. I know. Dave, Dave Maddox, what were you going to say? You were going to. Oh, just on a on a slightly nerdy thing, I'd love to hear your stories. I think a lot of people would about the time when Charlie came to the factory and that whole yeah, thing about yeah. picking the symbols out and the whole nine yards for that. Ooh. Yeah, I I could give you a thumbnail right now, a, a quick overview. I the, the that day that he came was like I don't know ten years in the making of trying to get him to right. come, and it was literally so it was the week that we had seen Steve. I'd been to the rehearsal on Monday, saw Steve on Tuesday. Their first show of the tour was Wednesday at Gillette Stadium. And as he's literally walking on stage, he turned to me and said, I'd like to come to the factory tomorrow. Is that possible? And I said, yes, of course. You know, and he said, no, sorry, we're booked up. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Dave Maddox is coming. Dave in. Maddox is coming. Sorry, we had a busy day. <laughs> too many Englishmen. Too many Englishmen in one place. Uh, he said, "If I come for for like an hour, is that enough time to 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 see it?" And I said, "Sure." I said, "We could make that work. If that's all, you could you could stay as long as you like. But if if you only have an hour, we'll make that work." And he said, "Fine. Then we'll see you at noon tomorrow." And uh, he said, "I'll ring you in the morning." Yeah. And he showed up at noon on the dot. I said, can we send a car? He said, no, I've, I've got a driver. I'll, I'll get there on my own. So he showed up at noon and he stayed until 5 PM. Like, and, and he would have stayed longer. I mean, we would have, we, we certainly didn't kick him out. He was just finally like, I guess we should get going now. But in the course of the day, he really was more interested in looking at the photos. All those, you guys that have been there, you know, all the photos along the wall. And at that time, he had started collecting some of these drum sets that belonged to Louis Belson and, and, you know, Dave Tuff or whoever, uh, Ray Badock and all these, all these jazz legends. And he was wanting photo copies of the photos on the wall of these guys behind their drums because he had the actual drum set. And he was talking about um, doing a, a coffee table book, having all these pictures in there. So this would help sort of complete the picture. We were talking about this the other day with Steve Maxwell on the, on the other one. So, so he was explaining it all and he was looking, he, he was actually describing in some of these pictures, this, like when this was taken and that was when they did this and he was playing, oh. you know, yeah, it was amazing. He, he like, like really knew. Yeah. Really like an encyclopedia yeah. of, of all that. So, um, and of course, you know, you know, I was gently saying, well, Charlie, if you want to maybe pick out a couple of symbols or try a few things and he, really wasn't that interested but but he did he came down to the to the room and and we were having him try some flat rides and and he was really rest his soul he was just really being polite he's like well that that one's not bad i guess i'd I'd try that one can you send it to me and i said sure i'll send it to you like he didn't really want to have to he wasn't going to put it up on the next stones gig on the on the gig you know and try it he was like i'll you know if you send it to me i'll try it but um, as at the end of the day, and this is the really short story, but at the end of the day, we're in my office and we're just sort of saying goodbye. And, and um, let me just see if I can. Yeah. So we're, it was just such a, a wonderful day. And I had this symbol that I'd had sitting in my office. It was an old sixties, mm-hmm. uh, 16 inch, a thin crash. Really. It sounds like, like the bomb Don, you know, that, that mm. old heisty that he had, that's like on brown sugar and right. give me shelter, you know, that really bright, fast crash. So I had that sitting there at my, in my office. And, um, and I said, Charlie, I have something for you. I've been wanting to give this to you. And he put it on his finger and he just hit it with his finger and he went, Oh, that's lovely. And mm. I said, you know, <laughs> I, I, I hope you, you like it. And he said, he had this, like, I can have it. Like, really? And I said, yes, please. I would be so honored if you had this. And that he took with him. You know what I mean? I said, I'll yeah, put yeah. it with the other stuff I'm going to send. He said, no, 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 I'll, I'll take this with me, <laughs> which led me to, <laughs> yeah. Don has told me that it's, it's in the warehouse. It's with all the. Oh, yeah, yeah, stuff. it definitely is. Yeah. It's, got a, it's got a nice little uh, sticky note on there saying, you know, the Zildjian symbol, you know, that day and everything, the date. Yeah. yeah. And I and I told him okay, it wasn't. Okay. And I, and I wasn't exaggerating, but it, you know, Armin Zildjian was still alive at that time. Unfortunately, he wasn't there that day. But Armin used to come in, and he'd say to me, "You still have that symbol?" And I and I'd say, "Yeah, here it is." And he'd listen to it. He loved old days, Armin. I mean, they were really near and dear to him. You know, I mean, that's what Zildjian made back then were the A's, not the not the K's. You know, and and uh, and I remember him saying, "Like that's a 
hold on to that one. Hold on. So I, but I know when I told him that I gave it to Charlie, he was very happy. You know, I, I should say he was gone, but I, but I was told him, I told him I was holding it for Charlie. He was very happy that someone who could really appreciate it would, would get it, you know, and not just into the ether. So. Yeah. um, John, the last, um, just to add on to that, the last interview that he did, we set up a, um, an interview in New Jersey with um, Rob Shanahan and it was for, uh, Vic Firth Zildjian, you know, but it was actually, well, it was a lot of things, but, but the Zildjian thing. And, uh, he mentioned that he mentioned you in that uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. Just talking about Zildjians and he'll, here's a Zildjian. Here's another Zildjian. Here's an Avitas. Here's an Avitas, you know? Yeah. Well, and he says, uh, John de Christopher get, gave me this beautiful symbol. You know? Wow. So, yeah, that's uh, great. That's years great. after you had left. Yeah. Years after you left. Yeah. You're wow. a very important man yeah. in the music industry. Yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah. You're not dying, are you? <laughs> Diami, John. Not yet, you guys. Not yet. Not hardly. Yeah. Something you want to talk about? Funny. <laughs> oh, man. Excellent. I love you guys. I love you all madly. <laughs> love you too, Johnny. Thanks for having us. Oh. Back at you. For having us, boy. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Sean Pelton. New show this weekend? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're still live. We got two more. We're doing four in a row. So two down, two, two more, and then a break. All right. Excellent. Fantastic. Nice. Have a great show. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to yeah. see you. Nice to see you, Sean. Yeah. Uh, good to see, see you, everybody. guys. Thank all you. Right. Hey, bye-bye. See you guys soon. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Take care now. Bye-bye. Take care. See Stay you. safe. Cheers. Bye-bye. See you, boys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.